We've all heard that investing is simple, but not easy. And one of the most non-easy parts comes from our own fear and emotion that begs us to sell stocks, usually at the wrong time. Today, I'm going to share with you one of the most powerful and helpful investment tools that you can use to help you anytime investing gets tough. And that's not an if, it's a when. Today, the dry powder principle. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Let's try to answer this question. If you take a look at a chart of the S&P 500, we're looking at the general marketplace, whether you look at it over the last 10 years or 30 years or 50 years or 100 years. We know that the general pattern, of course, is that stocks rise over time, the economy gets better, and we see a market that has gone from, let's call it, if you were looking at a graph, the lower left to the upper right. Now, it's not a steady straight line, but essentially, if you take away the whole middle part of the line that goes up and down through recessions and bear markets and corrections and see the general trajectory from the lower left to the upper right, we know that markets have gone up over time. Well, how is it then that the average investor makes very little in any given year? One of my favorite charts is a study from the Dalbar, D-A-L-B-A-R Institute that looks at the average rate to return for individual investors by measuring rates of return for individual mutual fund holders. And history has shown us that individual investors typically average in the 2.5% range, yet stocks have averaged the 10 11% range. How could that be? If stocks themselves haven't lost money over time, then why have so many investors lost money in stocks? That's the question I want to answer today. And the answer is that investors are human and they're subject to their emotion and investing happens to center around something that we all work very hard for and that's money. And it's something that pays for us to live in the world and pays for our safety and it pays for our health and it pays for our lives. And it's obviously a very emotional topic. And when it's at seemingly at risk, when it's seemingly at risk, meaning the value can go up and down, just like the stock market, clearly the human tendency is to protect, protect. I think we've all heard of the analogy of the two men walking in the Serengeti. This is, call it, thousands and thousands of years ago. These are our ancestors, by the way, Bill and Ted. And they hear Russell in the bushes. Bill immediately runs to the closest village. Doesn't even for a second think, oh, that's not danger. Whereas Ted thinks to himself, there's a 99% chance that that's just the wind rustling the bushes. Well, Ted's a pretty rational guy. Maybe he would have been a great investor. But Ted also walked over to the bush and a saber-toothed tiger jumped out and ate him. Well, of course, that means we're all descendants from Bill. Bill immediately fled and ended up in the village and were the descendants of Bill because Ted didn't survive. 
So we're reactive. And it's been, of course, a survival technique to be reactive. And that's why we are maybe where we are today. But in investing, ironically, it's almost as though the opposite is true. Those who can look past perhaps danger or temporary danger or look beyond the valley and be able to stay invested or understand that things will get better over time are the investors that have really been rewarded the most. So it's not the market that people have lost money in. It's the decisions of investors that have, to some extent, manifested why people tend to lose money or have lost money or have poor overall returns over time. It's human nature. And what I want to talk about today is one of the most practical, real-life strategies to find a happy medium between how Bill reacted and how Ted reacted. And that comes through two things that I'll talk about today. One, the history of how often markets fall. And if we understand just how normal markets going down is and corrections of 10% and bear markets of 20% or more, I think it, to me, really helps you as an investor when we go through the next cycle and stocks get hit and your 401k drops by 10,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 or a million, again, all on a percentage basis that could be 10 or 20% just for larger or smaller pools of money. All of those corrections hurt. All bear markets hurt investors. They're not enjoyable, but they are part of investing. And I think if we understand how frequently they come and then understand how long it takes to come back from those declines on average, it helps us gain a sense of patience in a sense of understanding so that we can be better investors. The principle I want to talk about today that, I, that is very much a real-life strategy that I find works very well, particularly with those who are getting into retirement and a little bit more nervous about markets, is the, something called the dry powder principle. Dry powder, of course, a reference back to powder in the Revolutionary War. If, if your powder, if your gunpowder got wet, it was useless. If the powder was kept dry, you could still use it and still worked and you could still defend yourself. So obviously we want dry powder. It's for safety and security. And from a market perspective, it's an extremely important concept and really, quite frankly, a pretty simple concept to always have in the back of your head when you're investing. Now, of course, dry powder fits in as a percentage of the overall asset pool, whether you have a 401k or an IRA or an after-tax account. The reality is not all of it is invested 100% in stocks or risky stocks. There should be some sort of delineation between your aggressive assets, let's call that growth, growth, your alternative income assets that we refer to as a specialty category that might include real estate or real estate investment trusts and pipeline companies. And then the two buckets I'm referring to in this overall four bucket approach that is technically your overall asset allocation would be the income bucket that holds conservative, more conservative investments, primarily bonds. And then cash. Of course, the cash bucket is complete safety that there should be no worry of cash going lower unless you spend it. But from an investment standpoint, when we talk about dry powder, I'm going to look at cash plus anything that's in more conservative fixed income that doesn't have a whole lot of upside, but doesn't really have a whole lot of downside either, or even volatility for that matter. 
that's going to include treasury bonds and government-backed mortgage bonds and high-quality corporate bonds. We're not talking about junk bonds here. So excluding that piece of the equation. So the dry powder for investor is a combination of the cash bucket and the income bucket. And instead of looking at that simply as a percentage of my overall, 5% or 10% or 20 or 30% of my overall, how much do I have in these two more conservative buckets? I want to talk about what dry powder means for you from a time perspective, meaning that if I need $50,000 a year for my portfolio, how much time worth of spending, how many years do I have of dry powder? Meaning that how many years of spending do I have outside of the areas that are more risky, the volatile areas that I'm going to talk about in a second, meaning that I know I can draw from my cash and my income that are stable if and when markets or my risk assets in the growth bucket and the alternative income bucket are under pressure or in a bear market or a correction, the very time that you'd rather not be selling those assets. So let's start with the history of just how often and how severe markets correct. History repeats itself. And there's probably no better example that in markets, history continues to repeat itself over and over and over and over again. And that's why I think it's so important to understand stock market history. Whether you look at markets over the past 90 or 100 years or the last 45 or 50 years, you start to see this pattern that emerges kind of over and over and over again. If you go back and look at markets over the past 90 years, you'll see that markets correct or go down by 10% or more, 10% or more. Every 1.7 years, so let's call it every one and a half years or so, markets go through a pretty choppy period of time. Bear markets, which are even worse and more painful, that's minus 20%, and I'm looking at the S&P 500 here, 20% or more corrections over the past 90 years happen every four to five years or four and a half years to be exact. Now let's Take a look at the, just the more recent period of time, the last 45 years. There have been 22 times in the last 45 years, so about half the time that markets have pulled back 10% or more. That means there's an average, at least one correction on average every two, two and a half years. Major corrections, and we call these bear markets, that's 20% or more downside for markets, are less common. But still, there's been five of them over the last 45 years. Average that out, we've had a bear market every nine years or so. But let's look more realistically here. And we, If we were to include 19% pullbacks, which are, I'll qualify that as a bear market. It's only a percent away from 20. They've occurred once every four and a half years. Now, remember, we're talking about stocks here. We're talking about the growth or the volatile part of our overall portfolio. We're not talking about the bond market. We're certainly not talking about cash. So let's talk about that counterbalance, which is a part of the dry powder that's our real topic today. Well, during all of those corrections, the average market pullback, and I'm going to go back 45 years, the average of the corrections in the bear markets all put together was about negative 21%. During those periods of time, on average, the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, again, primarily 80 plus percent in high quality treasury bonds, government-backed mortgage bonds, and high quality corporate bonds. So conservative or safe assets here. Well, markets fell on average about 21%. That bond market index was up almost 4%. Stocks down a lot, bonds actually up 
when things get really nasty in the stock market, and let's call these corrections within recession, so bad market and bad economy all at the same time, average of negative 34% for stocks, during those periods of time, the bond market was actually up 9.5%. So huge downside for stocks and the dry powder areas actually rose a lot. For the more garden variety corrections without recessions, if you look at that group, these garden variety corrections, S&P 500 down about 15%. During that period of time, the bond index up about 1.5%. So as you can see, these buckets of dry powder or bonds are just not correlated or in some cases really inversely correlated to help soften the blow for what stocks do. So when markets drop, it means that bonds, and particularly cash, can stay relatively flat to up by comparison. So here's the dry powder principle. If you need cash during one of those corrections, and by the way, we just revisited that corrections basically happen all the time. And when you're getting into retirement or you're an early retiree, you're going to need money to spend from your portfolio all the time, meaning that you're going to need money when the stock market is correcting. So if you need cash during one of those corrections, it's better to sell an asset that is either up a little bit in value or flat in value rather than an asset that's down significantly in price. Hence the dry powder principle. Spend the dry powder money that gives your more risk-oriented volatile assets time to recover. Now, here's the question. How long does it take for all of these bear markets and corrections to recover? We went back all the way to 1928 for this one and looked at bear markets, not just garden variety corrections, real bear markets, which are the 20% plusers. And if you take a look at the data, you'll see that the really bad bear markets that were coupled by recessions so the economy was also awful, takes on average about six years to recover. Now, if you exclude the one period of time, the Great Great Depression, on average, we see markets recover in about three and a half years. Bear markets that happen without recessions, these are the ones that are typically much less severe, on average, take a little less than a year to recover. So here's another dry powder principle. If the average correction recovery takes between two and four years, you might want to consider owning about that same amount of dry powder between your cash and your income buckets. That way you can use those dry powder assets to get through the next market downturn while your growth bucket and the alternative bucket recovers. So the dry powder principle, isn't it just about taking the percentage of your overall financial assets and retirement portfolio and understanding how much of it is conservative. What's the percentage? It's taking the dollar amount of your conservative assets and looking at that in terms of time, looking at it in terms of time. My dry powder gives me X amount of years of spending. It gives me a year. It gives me five years. It gives me seven years. Because we tend, again, to look at portfolio construction and I have this percentage in growth, this stocks, and this percentage in dividend or value stocks, and this percentage in international, and this percentage in conservative. And that's great, but I think that psychologically, going back to the arguably the largest hurdle as an investor is the psychological or the emotional side, it's so helpful for us to think about that sliver of the pie, that percentage in terms of time. 
And that's what the dry powder principle is. Is very simply, how much dry powder do I have to spend in terms of years? This concept has been so helpful anytime we've gone through dramatic market drops. The more recent example, of course, was during the COVID shutdowns back in 2020 when the the economy essentially shut down for two straight months. The market cratered over 30% in the matter of a month. And in order, and, and, and I don't blame people for wanting to run back to the safety of the village. No one during that period of time wanted to stroll over to the rustle of the grass and say, I think this COVID thing will be gone pretty soon. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. It was a scary time. But what got people through in order to not just sell everything and go to cash, which is the human reaction for many investors during that period of time, was to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to look at my portfolio and I'm going to see the percentage in dry powder. And then I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, wait a minute, that's... If I, let's say that that was $200,000 of a portfolio and you had 50,000, you would need to pull $50,000 worth of spending out of the portfolio every year. And the dry powder part was 200. Well, it's, let's call it a million dollar portfolio. It'd be 20%. How helpful is it to know you have 20%? It's not that helpful in the middle of a crisis. What's helpful is to say that $200,000 represented by 20%, gives me four years of spending money so that I don't have to sell my assets while they're down in the middle of this storm. Four years. And I can now wrap my arms around and say, wow, I bet you in four years, I bet you in a year things are going to be a lot better, which they turned out to be dramatically better in in even a much shorter period of time, particularly for the stock market. But even as we go through these crises, to be able to say a whole year worth of spending, two years worth of spending, five years worth of spending, gives you the ability to sit back and say, look, I'm, I have the internal fortitude and conviction because I have my dry powder to allow the rest of my portfolio to recover without saying I need to go run to cash. And that is a very powerful understanding for you to internalize as an investor. It's funny, when we did this exercise during that period of time and re- remind it, we tried to remind all the families that I, I work with and our whole firm works with, try to remind them of hey, let's do some math on your dry powder. Very often, we do this calculation and we'd, we'd come up with a number. You've got X amount in dry powder, 200,000, 300, 500. And you look at the portfolio need of how much you needed to pull out every year. And families would look up and say, wow, that, you mean, that means I have seven years of dry powder? It means I have 12 years of dry powder? Wait, a okay, I, of course I don't need to panic. I've got much more time. So the amount of time in this dry powder, particularly as you get further and closer into retirement, and when you're 25 or 30, it's more about an emergency fund and having a certain amount of money if you lose your job. But as you get closer to retirement and certainly into retirement, and it's less about saving and more about preserving and distributing your capital and never running out, the key is to understand essentially how long that particular amount of safe money will really last. What prompted doing the podcast I'm recording right here is that this morning, a client read one of the articles I wrote about dry powder, I don't know, a year or two ago, and wanted to revisit and said, wait, just making sure I have enough dry powder. I only have, and I'm, and I'm rounding here, I only have $50,000 that's really in the in money market right now, which is a, is a full year of spending. I think I need more dry powder. Am I, am I right or wrong? Am I correct? And I said, well, wait a minute. Remember, you have $250,000 of the overall investment portfolio in really cons- in the conservative income bucket. So I said, 
I said, Tom, you don't have a year of dry powder. You actually have six years of dry powder because you have 50000 in cash and another $250,000 in safety assets, which that's another five years. So really put together, five plus one is six. You have six years of dry powder. No, we don't need to raise any more cash. Understanding what the dry powder is, it's your conservative assets, that's your cash and your high quality bonds that will be mostly protected even when the stock market falls apart. Now, how many years of dry powder do you need? Well, there's no perfect answer for that. For Tom, four to five years, six years is very comfortable. And emotionally, that's exactly what he needs to feel comfortable. If you're aggressive Amy, maybe, and this is an example that I've written about, is that Amy likes to have as much of her money invested as humanly possible. She's retired. She's in her early 60s, but... Because she has a pension and social security, her portfolio need is only about $50,000 a year. That's what she needs to pull out of her portfolio. For her, all she wants is one year worth of dry powder. She's fine to say, out of my whole portfolio, that's a million dollars. I only need about 50000 of it, which again, is a small percentage. It's only 5% in dry powder. That's where she's comfortable. As an example... Let's call her aggressive Amy. On the other side of the equation, conservative Clark wants a way more than a year in dry powder. Conservative Clark's situation is pretty different. His portfolio is $750,000. But because he has a really, he worked for one of the big utility companies and has a pretty significant pension. So really, he doesn't have to pull a lot of money out of his overall portfolio. He needs to pull out about $20,000 a year. I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's all his need is. Conservative Clark wants a decade of dry powder. Again, there's no right or wrong answer here. That's, how, that's what makes him feel comfortable. Even though he has his large pension, even though he only has $20,000 he needs to take out, you can make the case, hey, Conservative Clark, why don't you invest everything in stocks? That no, doesn't work for him. And we're all different. So he needs $20,000 a year. 10 years worth of dry powder means he needs about $200,000 in the cash in the income bucket. Now, most of this will be in the income bucket because it is a, it is a long, it's a lot of years. So it should probably not just sitting in cash, but at least earning something in, the, let's say, the bond market. So out of his overall portfolio of $750,000, by him having about 25, 26% in the income bucket, that gets him to about 200,000. 750,000 times 26% gets him to right at $200,000. And that's the 10 years that makes conservative Clark feel comfortable. 10 years of dry powder. So whether you're the example I used earlier from Tom, I've, I guess I've got to give him a name. I've got conservative Clark needs 10 years. I got aggressive Amy that only wants one year of dry powder. Tom was kind of in the middle. Let's call him, let's call him tactful Tom. Let's call him tactful Tom. He was kind of somewhere in the five to six range. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter where you land. As long as you feel comfortable, that is perhaps the most important rule of investing is that you've got to be comfortable with the overall picture. And I think that this, and just from helping families do this for a couple of decades now, this seems as though this may be the easiest investing tactic of all time or most practical, but 
it's it's so much about our perspective on how and why we have the conservative money and the perspective of time that bridge over troubled water that time is so much more powerful helpful way to think of that sliver of the investment pie than thinking of it as a percentage now again yes i'm a big believer that you want to have as much in the growth 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 bucket as you can over time i think that's where we make our most money i've said many times on the retire sooner podcast that the equity markets are genetically engineered to go higher over time. Stocks are built to grow their earnings and move higher over time. The United States economy is is, is powered by an army of productivity. The American army of productivity is what powers this economy. It's a formidable force that there's nothing like it on the planet. It's not something I'm willing to bet against. And what I truly believe is that over time, this economy will continue to grow, innovate, work hard, and expand. I want to invest in the companies that are riding that wave higher over time. However, I also understand that the most difficult piece of being an investor is the psychological battle that we go through in our heads. The bad news of the day, every time, seems like it's going to be the nail in the coffin that we haven't seen before. So we get nervous and we step away. That's why I've talked about, at least I think I've done a podcast, and if we haven't, we'll do one, on the 1550 stock roll, meaning that if you think you have at least 15 years left on this planet, you should at least be 50%, 50% in equities. It's a rule I've written about many a time on westmoss.com. So yes, I believe in having as high of an equity percentage as we can tolerate, and these rules don't always work perfectly together. The 4 to 5% rule, the 4% plus rule, states that you should have between 50 and 70% in equities at any given time, no lower than 50, no higher than 70, to maximize how much you can pull out without running out of money over time. So not all of these rules work perfectly or congruently together because they're rules of thumb. But this one here is much more about the perspective of how much safety I have in my portfolio. And that's what I want you to walk away with here today. So the next time a scary bear market rears its head and you're ready to run for the exits, remember the dry powder principle. And remember that that amount of money that you have invested in safety is the equivalent of time. And time gets us through, as we've learned over the course of history, nearly every crisis that faces this economy, this country, and the stock market. And it's a principle that I think can help get you through those rough periods of time. And if it did, if you learned that today, well, we did our job here on the Retire Sooner podcast. So with that, thank you for listening. And if you think this will help somebody else, share with a friend. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.